Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone! Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. Welcome in to another edition of Fly the W. This one is episode five. It is season one, and we're calling this one The Cubs Have All-Stars. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score, the official radio home of our Chicago Cubs. And I'm joined by Paul Crawley Gene, and you can find me at Crawley's Cubs, and you can follow us on Twitter at Fly the W670. And we've got a new feature this week, right, Crawley? Now people can reach us via emails. That is correct. We do have an email account now. It is fly the W, same as the Twitter, fly the W670 at gmail.com. So if you have any suggestions or any questions that you want us to answer, feel free. We'd love to hear from you. All right. At the time of this recording, it is Thursday afternoon. And as I was heading out of the city and back to the burbs, the big news of the day broke for the Cubs. And that was. Wilson Contreras and the teams avoiding arbitration. The hearing was supposed to happen today, and the two sides agreed on a 2022 salary of $9.625 million. Right in the middle, the nine Cubs submitted and the 10-2-5 that the Contreras camp submitted. So, Crawley, based on that news, what do you think that means for the immediate and the future of Wilson and the Cubs? I don't know if you can put a lot of stock in the future, but as far as immediate, you you don't have to go through the circus. That is a uh, arbitration hearing. Uh, If you, we talked about it on the last episode with Patrick Mooney, arbitration hearings are not a lot of times uh, agents will tell their clients don't show up because it's the Cubs job to say why Wilson doesn't deserve the money he asked for. So you're basically putting the guy down, which is why most teams try to avoid arbitration And this is what I was talking about with, with Patrick. I said, you know, they were so close nine versus 10.25. You're talking 1.25 million. That's a drop in the bucket. You know, why, why can't, why not just pay him the 10.25, you know, and Patrick talked a little bit that the Cubs normally do the, you know, the file and trial They'll They'll go ahead and go for it. They usually don't do it. But I think in this case, Wilson is a special player. I think it just looked bad on the team. And I think that in the short term, it avoids any kind of bad feelings between the two sides. 
I still don't think it has a big future impact. And the reason is, is Wilson Contreras is a couple months away from being a free agent. He's going to have at least 20 teams vying for his talent. He's going to take the best offer that he can. So I'm, if, if you know, I, I don't think it has any long-term ramifications, but at least short-term, you know, you can kind of take the weight off his shoulders. He can, but he hasn't been playing like he's been nervous or, you know, you sometimes see that in, in, in your walk here. He's been playing some really great baseball. So uh, I think he's in a good position. I wish the Cubs would have uh, re-signed, you know, signed him to an extension prior to the season. But now, you know, you're about, uh, uh, you know, about a month and a half away from the All-Star break, about two months away from the trade deadline. So th- there really is no point in signing an extension. Well, and you could have thought that maybe this disagreement between Wilson and the Cubs maybe was fuel for his fire. He was showing them, Hey, look at, I still got it. I can DH. I might be able to play a little first base in a pinch. I could play some right field and I'm still, if not the one of the best offensive catchers in the game and one of the best overall all around catchers in the game. I just think that this looks bad on the Cubs from a free agent, maybe point of view, like, they could have agreed on this 9.625 million six weeks ago. Instead, it goes all the way to the 11th hour. And you wonder, Crawley, which side genuflected, genuflected, curtsied, winked first on this one. Like, how, how did they all of a sudden, like, this is simple math. I'm public school educated. I could have figured this out six weeks ago. Okay. I want, I want nine. You offer 10 to 10 to five. What's halfway 10.625. Okay. Let's just be done. And maybe we'll talk about an extension. Maybe you'll trade me, but instead it gets drug out. And what we do on a daily basis, we have been talking about this day coming for Wilson and the Cubs for at least every other day for a month and worried about how this was going to potentially affect Wilson. So I just wonder if it is, a, it sheds a bad light on the Cubs overall that they're fighting, as you mentioned, over basically peanuts at $1.5 million. I, I talked about it as, as two games worth of cup snakes basically is what, what this was all about. <laughs> and, and I just, I cannot for the life of me fathom why you didn't get this done in spring training, it, 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 you know, and, and here's the thing. Wilson had a tough year last year, but part of that had to do with the fact that they had like zero backup catchers. I think they had 13, 14 backup catchers last year. I can't remember the exact number, but basically it was Wilson catching every single day of the week. And that takes a toll on your body and it naturally affected his numbers offensively. And, you know, but I never heard one complaint from Wilson. Never, nope. you know, he, he took it for the team and, and he did what he, he could to try to keep that team in it, even though it really wasn't going anywhere. And so, you know, it, it's, it, it is a sense of frustration because it didn't have to get this far you could have gotten this done real quick and then maybe talked about extension during spring training and none of that gets done. So the other big news of the week, and don't get me wrong, Wilson Contreras and avoiding arbitration and this, this, that's a big deal, but this is kind of like seismic baseball touches the Cubs. Joe Madden fired by the Anaheim angels two weeks ago, Crawley, they were 27 and 17, 10 games over 500. In just out of first place, then they go on a 12 game losing streak and the angels fire Joe Madden. Your reaction to that? Uh, boy, it was, uh, 
you know, it was a shock for me just because, you know, Madden, as how fast that happened and how that losing streak just piled up. But, you know, sometimes you just go for through those bad stretches, you know, even the best teams do. And it just, there seemed to have been some disconnect between the front office and Joe Madden. And as that happened lately, and I think you probably saw a little bit of that with that, with that, with the Cubs too, Joe Madden was complaining that they are just taking sabermetrics too far and that they are not really kind of respecting, say, what the manager thinks or feels. And a lot of that kind of comes back to the Cubs, too, because that was a problem, I think, with Theo and Jed with Joe Madden, is that we are coming in an era of baseball where, you know, the, the manager really is just given the lineup and said, this is what you're doing. And, and the role of the manager, I think, is diminished as the front office keeps looking more and more into the numbers and, and diving into that. And I think that Madden just kind of got, you know, had enough of it. So I'm sure there was some tension there, but Madden was surprised. And, and, and I think a lot of people were as well. What really bothers me about the firing is that during this 12-game losing streak, the great Mike Trout, the Mickey Mantle, supposedly, of our generation, Crowley, was in a 0-for-26, 0-for-27 slump. So how is that Joe's fault? That That's Joe's fault that, that Mike Trout decided that all of a sudden, over 12 games, he forgot how to hit the baseball? Then the other thing I heard out of the four-letter network was that Mike Trout and the Angels were upset that word got out publicly that the organization's plan was to move Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle of our generation, supposedly, to one of the corner outfielder spots. And then that news got to Trout before they had a chance to tell Trout. So they were upset that Madden talked so much. And Madden's talking is really good for baseball. You, you know who should be – Joe Madden should be on Fox or the Four Letter Network or TBS or the Marquee Sports Network yesterday. Joe Madden is good for baseball, and I think this is a really bad move. And the other story I saw this morning was questioning whether or not Joe Madden is a Hall of Famer. Now, I'm not going to say he's a Hall of Famer, but I am definitely not willing to say that the Cubs won the World Series in spite of Joe Madden. If I were ranking the people, and maybe we put this question out for our emailers, for our texters, for our tweeters, and, and you can think about it because it's it's too much on the spot right now, Crowley. But if you had to rank the top five reasons why the Cubs finally broke the curse and won the World Series in 2016, would Joe Madden make your top five? And you don't have to answer now, but just something to think about. And that doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer, but I think Joe Madden should get another chance to manage again. I wonder if the other team in Chicago could use a guy like Joe Madden right now. Well, as tempting as it is, we, we do have the Jerry Reinsdorf factor. And as long as you're friends with Jerry, you never lose your job. So uh, I think that uh, Tony La Russa can sleep peacefully tonight. Um, I know for a fact, I think that without Joe Madden, the Cubs do not win the World Series. Uh, I, I've always felt that way. And I, I agree that Joe is absolutely wonderful for the game. Um, he's, he's funny. He's entertaining. He's engaging. And, and it's a lot better than the, you know, the, the basic cliche manager, you know, speak that really just isn't that interesting. This is what you want to do is get people interested and excited about the game. 
and love him or hate him, Joe Madden's one of those characters that makes the game more entertaining. Absolutely right. I could not agree with you anymore. He makes it entertaining. He's fun. He does do some things that make you think, but that that's also fun. It's, it's, it's good to think it's good to wonder. It's good that it doesn't always have to be so robotic and so mechanical. You're listening to the fly, the W podcast. This is season one. This is episode five. And we are calling this episode. The Cubs have all-stars and hopefully I put enough question mark in my voice there. So Crawley, let's get into all-star selections. The voting started on Tuesday. Who from this group do you think deserves to be an all-star? Well, I kind of laugh because, you know, the Cubs Twitter people who I love, but they, they have to put it out from the graphics department, gave you the all-star ballad. And for those of you listening to the podcast, you see Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel, Seiya Suzuki, you got Wilson, uh, you, you got uh, Ian Happ, Jason Hayward's on there, and so is Nick Magical. And I'm just like, oh, man, I would hate to be the one that tweeted that out. Um I, I, I can tell say, you right away, those two, those last two guys, Crowley, not Hall of Fam- not Hall of Famers and definitely not All-Stars. <laughs> um, so when I take a look at a position player standpoint, I think there's no question that Wilson Contreras, to me, deserves a, a third All-Star selection. Um, I would say Nico Horner has impressed me a lot. That's a tough position, shortstop. You know, there's a lot of really good shortstops. I don't know if he makes it, but if I was to have to be one of those people convincing you, I would say Nico Horner. And then pitching's a little bit tricky. Uh, Keegan Thompson, I know he had, well, we're going to talk about that start he had the other day, but as far as what he's done this year, it didn't matter whether it was as a, as, as kind of like a piggybacking role or a starter. I think he's pitched good enough to get into an all-star game. I would say David Robertson. So those are the four that I would say Robertson. Uh, I would say Nico Contreras, and Keegan. I love your optimism. I, I don't want to argue with you, but I think this is a one word answer for me, which means it's one cub and it's Contreras. The all-star game, unfortunately now has kind of been ruined because of interleague play and because of cable and being able to subscribe to every team out there. It used to be when we were growing up, Crowley, like that was a night you marked on the calendar and there was no bedtime And you couldn't wait for the thing to start. And if they would have had home run derby back then, gosh, I would have been absolutely out of my mind to have watched that back in the day. But now that you see guys all the time, the the specialness of it is gone for me. So real quick, let's talk about the one game so far the Cubs have played since we last uh, recorded a podcast together. And um, Keegan Thompson, who you just mentioned, Went out on the mound. He was staked to a one nothing lead. First pitch of the game, Morell, boom, goes the dynamite. Cubs up one nothing. Thompson comes out on the road against Baltimore, not perfect weather conditions, and the wheels fell off. What did you see? Well, Christopher Morell with that leadoff home run, first pitch he sees, his streak's up to 21 now, which is absolutely awesome. Um, but the trouble is, is that you saw Thompson did not have it and he gave up back-to-back home runs to the first and second hitter that he faced. And so it was Keegan's worst start. Clearly his worst performance of the season. Look at this stat right here, Dustin, he entering the game, he allowed three home runs in 45 and a third innings. Okay. In 45 and a third, three home runs. 
he gave up three home runs and three innings of work. So he only went three innings. He gave up five hits, seven runs, one walk, and one strikeout. Um, the, you know, obviously uh, Morrell hit a single and a triple. So he accounted for two of the three Cubs runs. And, and, and uh, Wilson Contreras hit an absolute bomb at 437 feet. Uh, the other good news out of this game for the Cubs is L Alec Mills came back for the first game and he pitched five innings, gave up four hits, two runs. Unfortunately, two of them were home runs and had six Ks. Uh, but he really uh, saved the bullpen some work. And people ask me, I had some people on Twitter say, well, why do we keep Alec Mills? This is why you keep him, is that you want to give Keegan Thompson the opportunity to see if he's a starter or not. This is your chance. But you still need people to do that piggyback mop-up role or maybe even give you one inning, that Swiss Army knife, as David Ross likes to call it. And Alec Mills can do that for you. So instead of using the entire bullpen up, you had one more pitcher come in after Keegan, and he was able to stop the bleeding. I mean, the game was out of hand by then. But, but you know, it was, it was a good outing for him, even though the game went terribly bad. And Cubs fans, if you like baseball and Cubs baseball, like Crowley and I do, and you probably do because you're listening to the Fly the W podcast, uh, mark your calendars if you're not already aware. They are going to play 20 games in 19 days between the 13th and 31st of August. You're that listening to... You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode five, and we're calling this one, The Cubs Have All-Stars? As we looked last week at that pitching performance in the Cardinals, we saw four, uh, four or five different pitchers in there, and a lot of them were new to us as far as Keegan is concerned, as far as Justin Steele and Matt Swarmer, and, uh, you, you know, it was very exciting. You had the Caleb Killian call-up. And so this next interview coming up is with Lance Brodzdowski. He is the player development analyst for Watch Marquee Network. And we had him break down some of these pitchers and some things that you're looking for. And when we talked about that bad start by Keegan Thompson, he kind of mentioned something that Sean Marshall saw when watching the game. So that's what we call a teaser in the business. Listen to the interview and enjoy. It was an exciting weekend with the Cardinals coming into town. Always, always that rivalry. But um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you always do such a good job breaking down the pitchers for anybody that watches uh, Marquee Network, who, like myself, I have it on 24-7. But nice. you had you had two young pitchers that have been kind of going at it this whole year. You had a, a much-anticipated debut. You had a guy that's kind of just kind of come for a lot of casual Cub fans kind of come out of nowhere. And then you have the big free agent signing uh, from the off season. So I thought we would kind of take a look at those guys kind of break down, break them down each and, and kind of in the context of what happened last weekend. Um, so the first one that I have kind of queued up was Keegan Thompson, who did really well against St. Louis, but uh, had his worst start last night against Baltimore. What pitches does Keegan feature? Yeah, so Keegan is primarily like a fastball cutter, curveball guy, I'd say. That's pretty good breakdown. It's a mix, occasional changeup. Um, the thing that Marshall, Sean Marshall, uh, Cubs reliever, he's a great guy, one of my favorite talent that we have at, at Marquee Sports Network. Um, it's really enjoyed. That was my first segment. We did a segment, he and I, the other day where we, we had some really cool video of the spin of each of his pitches, and we broke it down. And I think the main thing we pointed out with him is that on that four scene, he gets – 
would the nerds would call a little bit of cut ride. So like you think of a cutter moving away from a righty, and you think of ride being that like high rise Garrett Coley forcing fastball that has become so popular over the last couple of years. Keegan kind of throws a blended version of those two pitches, I would say, where it's not, you know, it doesn't have as much ride as like a Garrett Cole fastball and doesn't cut as much as say like a big cutter or big slider or anything. But the combination of the two makes it a kind of particularly interesting and effective pitch. It's been really good for him. It's a primary reason I think why I think prior to yesterday's outing, he was ranked fourth or fifth in uh, among starting pitchers and baseball references, kind of player value metric known as war. Um, so, yeah, I love that pitch for him. And Marsh likes it, too. It's a slight, like, offset of the ball, which allows him to do that. Um, and it's a really effective one. And he, he tunnels that, sequences it really well off with the cutter and then the big curveball. Yesterday's outings was odd. Marsh and I were watching it with, with Cole Wright and a variety of other people in the studios here. And we were kind of surprised. I, I know Marsh was thinking that maybe something was going on with him tipping because he was not getting any swings on a curveball. Um, but tipping so hard to pick up, like you, you probably have to have a camera focused on the pitcher and know what each pitch is coming in. I find tipping stuff fascinating uh, just because it's something that, I, I, you know, talking to guys like Carlos Pena, we have in his talent and such. He's like, yeah, there used to be guys on the team that are just better at picking it up, you know. But again, I'm not saying Keegan was. I, I doubt he was, honestly, because some of that stuff is, I think, a little bit of probably overblown in terms of how often it affects a pitcher. Could have just been an off day for him. But the curbo was weird, man. He was throwing that. He gave up a couple of homers on it. He was getting a lot of really good takes on pitches that Marsh and I thought were really competitive. Um, so I, I guess I want to chalk it up more so to just bad luck in that outing. I don't think Keegan Thompson's like a sub two ERA guy. You know, that'd be incredibly elite. I think he's a really good piece that I still think the Cubs are trying to figure out how to use, which is totally fine, right? Like we're not sure if he ends up in the pen long term or if he's more of a starter, if he's more of that hybrid two to three inning role. The easy way is to split the difference and say he's that hybrid two to three inning role. But Love Med's a pitcher, effective guy, really like the, the repertoire. Interesting. So in the future, you see him more being a two to three, like he, like he was piggybacking earlier in the season. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the sweet spot, I think, because he doesn't have to turn the lineup over a bunch of times where you run into some of the third time through the order penalties and stuff that, that baseball's so kind of against now in the modern game. But uh, I like him in that two to three inning role where maybe he faces a batter or two twice, but uh, he could turn over a lineup and provides a lot of like middle relief in leverage situations. And I remember listening last night to JD and Boog talking, and they thought with the rain and stuff, maybe he just really couldn't grip the ball as much yeah. as well as he wanted or something. It was again, sure. it, it was it was a rare bad performance, but he's been a uh, fun to watch. And uh, you know, hopefully, if he has a couple of good more starts, maybe he makes an All Star game. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. We have a, I think our poll question today is uh, who, how many uh, Cubs should be All Stars, how many are deserving, and yeah, Willie for sure. Uh, I think Keegan's in the in the conversation. Although, like, those guys that don't end up with saves are always curious, right? Like, they're, they're always in a funky spot, you know, in terms of the all-star voting. I feel like fans tend to lean towards the guy with the big save number and such. So, or, I mean, the Josh haters of the world and such with that big save, save number. But the middle relief guys, maybe not as much. So, maybe Robertson, maybe Robertson's the guy that jumps over Keegan in terms of the amount of votes he gets. But I think a lot of Cub fans know that Keegan's been almost equally as effective, in my opinion, as Robertson. All right. Another guy who had his best start against the Cardinals recently is Justin Steele, another young talent that is getting an opportunity to prove what he has at the major league level. What do you see when you watch Justin Steele pitch? Yeah, Steele, I think this last start is interesting. I, it was a Sunday night broadcast, obviously, and I, I love Boo and JD, but it's often fun to hear other announcers call the Cubs games, as I imagine maybe some Cubs fans do if they jump out of into another a broadcast and such. Some aren't that great. Obviously, some many of them aren't as good as Boog and JD, but 
I really like David Cohn a lot on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I think that's a very good broadcast in terms of the, the information they bring from my perspective, uh, leaning towards the nerd side. And Cohn throughout it was talking about how he thought that there was something different with Steele's fastball. And I was like a little skeptical of it because I thought it was lining up pretty much with what the season metrics were in terms of the movement and velocity of the pitch, maybe up slightly. But the thing that uh, we noticed was obviously he was jamming guys inside a ton of that pitch. Like he was really throwing it in on, on the Cardinal righties. Um, and that was a bit of a deviation from what I remember. I, I tend to remember him as a righty guy sitting up in the zone, maybe up and away from righties where he just kind of let that pitch fly such that if his natural miss would, you know, be a little arm side, so be in the left-handed batter's box. If he's up in the zone, he could kind of take it out of the zone and obviously kind of limit the damage and uh, the potential downside risk of just leaving a bunch of pitches over the middle of the plate. But it's, it comes to light, obviously, after the game that it sounds like uh, John Lester talked to David Ross about it. And obviously, I think Ross mentioned in an interview we did with him that, you know, obviously this credit goes to steal for sure in terms of putting in the work, which I, obviously he's done a ton. But I thought that was interesting. And, yeah, if you look at kind of the distribution of where that fastball was over his last four or five outings, um, the most recent one against Sunday Night Baseball against the Cardinals, he definitely was living inside with the pitch more. And I think that maybe that is what affected the pitch movement rather than, uh, rather than say, uh, an actual like shape change on the pitch or a cue difference. But he clearly was trying to put that pitch inside more. Um, and I think that's interesting. I, I don't know. You know, you see an outing like that, didn't get a ton of whiffs and whiffs or something that are generally pretty predictive of future success. So in my opinion, I think that success was more so like a game plan change where like the Cardinals hitters probably had an idea of what he threw. And then throughout that game, maybe didn't think that he would stay so true to jamming guys inside with that fastball the whole game. Maybe they thought it was like a inning or two strategy for the first time through, but he sat with that for like the entire game. Um, and I, I think it just threw Cardinals hitters off. So the next outing, which I assume will be Sunday, obviously I'm not entirely sure on that, in Yankee Stadium, that's going to be an interesting one to see exactly where that fastball location is to righties. Because they have a ton of good righties in Stan and Judge and uh, Gleyber Torres and stuff. So that's, I think that's what we're going to be looking for here is like the new fastball, that forcing fastball inside the righties is a key thing now. And uh, how do hitters adjust? The chess, the endless chess game, obviously, here. It's not something that I think will make him an ace, but I'm curious to see if it's something he sticks with or at least adds to his repertoire and maybe comes up with two fastball locations as opposed to one versus righties. I thought it was, like you said, you know, it comes out that, uh, you know, Justin Steele, I mean, uh, uh, David Ross gets Mm -hmm. text messages from Lester and he and David Ross goes to Justin Steele. Hey, you got to establish the four seam fastball command down and into righties and on that inner third. And that Lester said everything else that that will kind of open everything else up. So once you establish that, everything else will be opened up. And, you know, I just kind of laughed because. You ever see that meme with Leonardo DiCaprio where he's drinking the beer, smoking a cigarette, and pointing at yeah, the TV? Yeah, for sure. Like, is that literally John Lester sitting there? And afterwards, you know, Ross joked, I also got a text following up that and said John did not want to be a pitching coach. But, <laughs> you know, you said you earlier, uh, talking with uh, Sean Marshall, just these guys are so in tune to the game that they may pick up things that most people wouldn't. And I found it interesting that he would call, you know, text his old buddy, David Ross and say, Hey, tell the kid this. Cause again, you're talking about a lefty and, and steals a lefty as well. And some similarities as far as body mechanics, body type. Yeah. I think the key thing that I I don't exactly know, like Lester, obviously really good point. I think the key thing that would be interesting from my perspective is like Lester was a command artist, right? Like to, to live in the major leagues for as long as he did throwing low nineties, like you have to have good command. It's just a prerequisite, like the Wade Miley's of the world, Alec Mills, Kyle Hendricks. Like, their command is exceptional. If you look at any 
modern age command stats that will be backed up by that. Whereas Steele's command, I'd say from watching him for two years now, is not Lester level, obviously. And he throws a little bit harder. So I'd be curious on Lester's thoughts. Like, I don't know if he's come up publicly and talked about this much, but like, I'd be curious on his thoughts on like, I get that you want Steele to establish his fastball in, but like, he probably he had it seemed like he had good command in that Sunday night baseball outing, but in the instance he doesn't have good command, there's a chance that those pitches are then leaking over the plate, and then what do you do, right? It's always like looking ahead. It's like great he had a good start, but like how do we keep this going? You know, it's like I don't know if he can just live inside for the rest of his career. I think it's more a matter of like I don't know if he has good enough command to live inside for the rest of his career. Let's say that, and that's not a knock on Justin Steele. Like it's just a lot of young pitchers don't have good command. You know what I mean? So, like, Lester, it might be easy for Lester to go, hey, man, just throw the ball inside. And, like, Steele's like, okay, that makes sense. And then <laughs> it works for an outing. And then next outing, it's like he's leaving pitches over the plate. He's getting hammered. So, we'll see. Like, I'm really curious to see the evolution of this um, on this particular fastball location example with Steele. Now, the next pitcher that uh, I was at the game, I was super excited to see Caleb Killian yeah. pitch on, uh, that was Saturday night on the doubleheader. Uh, Caleb ended up ninth on your prospect list mm-hmm. as the season started. What does Caleb do that makes him such an exciting pitcher that so many people are talking about him? Yeah, lives in the zone a ton is the key thing. I think that that is great from a viewer perspective of keeping pace on the game. Um, he paces up a ton. Like, he throws the ball. He throws the ball in the zone a lot. It's a lot of contact. I don't think he's a big whiff guy. I think he could become a larger whiff guy if there's some adjustments made to the slider in particular. He kind of throws two cutter sliders um from my understanding it's only going to be charted as one if you want to nerd out and heading headed to any of the sites that track pitches it's going to be called a cutter but there's a slight variation which you might have noticed which is more like 86 87 that sweeps a little bit more i think that's kind of the key for him in my perspective going forward of like developing him as a pitcher um i'd love to see the development come at the major league level as i know i, I imagine other people around chicago would love to see love to see some homegrown talent or not homegrown talent he came from the the giants excuse me but at least develop talent come through the system in a really anticipated pitcher debut. Um, obviously a bit of a different pitcher too, since he came to came over from the giants in terms of what he throws a little bit different on the four seam fastball from what I saw in Arizona fall league last year. And they're kind of, again, trying to pick up a little more sweep with that, that cutter slider pitch. So I like him overall. Again, he sits in the zone a ton. The velo is good for how much he sits in the zone. I was talking about command earlier. Generally you'd say that, you know, there's a, there's a relationship between how hard you throw and command. This is why you kind of see a lot of relievers, who kind of maybe don't know where the ball's going throwing 98 plus it's really hard to control a baseball if you're throwing 98 plus um so a guy that can sit you know 94 to 96 with velo was up a little in the outing the first couple of innings i imagine that was some adrenaline but you know a guy that can sit there and command the ball as well as he does i think has a really high floor um and i think that slider is the key thing for him to develop a ceiling in terms of getting a little more depth on that pitch and not necessarily depth but honestly a little more sweep away from righties because i think his repertoire to lefties is good with the cutter uh, cutter sinker or cutter four seam now um, primarily the lefties, but yeah, he's my number nine. He's not, I, I've heard some people reference him as the top pitching prospect in the system. My money's on Jordan Wicks there. Who's the first rounder last year from uh, Kansas state. Um, he's a guy who was fastball change in college and they've picked up a slider with him. That's a little sweepier that I really like. I think he's a true three pitch guy. I think his command is as good as Killian's. I'd love to see the Vila jump a little more for him, but I think the ceiling's slightly higher with Jordan Wixon is with Caleb Killian, but that does not to say that Caleb Killian does not have a role in the major league level um, and a good career. I got to go down to South Bend and uh, see DJ Hurts pitch is another one. That, yeah, DJ's uh, fun. Really, really good guy too. Yeah, super good guy. Uh, now, when Killian got called up, I'm not going to lie, Dustin and I were a little disappointed. We were, you know, when, when sure. uh, I'm sorry, uh, we're talking about the doubleheader with the Brewers. We were disappointed when Killian uh, wasn't see. called up. 
And it said, Matt Swarmer. Okay, well, mm. Matt Swarmer. Okay, fine. But what has that kid done since he got here? I mean, his first start, he went six innings pitched, four runs, one earned, one walk. Uh, had six Ks against Milwaukee. And then his second start, like, you know, you said, okay, let's see you do it again. Now he goes six innings, two hits, one run, two walks, and five Ks versus St. Louis. So after that Milwaukee start, I mean, he was the first Cub to pitch six innings in MLB uh, debut since 2014 for the Cubs. Mm. Uh, Kyle Hendricks was the one who did it beforehand. He was the third Cub with a quality start in his MLB debut over the last 15 season. And he retired the first seven batters. He was the first Cub to do so in MLB debut since Chris Russon did it in 2012. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe what, what is Matt doing that's kind of translating to success up at the big league level? Yeah, he's a two-pitch guy. He's fastball slider. Uh, I was a little bit surprised to see this, this success, excuse me, um, which I, I'm happy to admit. I mean, I, I didn't really have Swarmer on my radar too much in terms of prospect lists. I didn't really think he threw hard enough. Um, the slider grades in the minors were fine, but they weren't like exceptional. I think the thing we've seen early with him is not almost that the slider is a really good raw pitch. It's not like an Ethan Robertsy pitch that has a ton of movement that you look at and you go, wow. It's, he commands it incredibly well. Um, and there's some variance in this, but I feel like we've gotten 12 innings now. You know, the location data usually takes a little bit of time to stabilize, but from, for the most part, like his ability to put that pitch down away from righties is exceptional. It's been incredibly effective. Um, and his fastball location hasn't been poor either. Like it works. Like the combo of the two pitches works. I also really like that he's thrown slider like over 50% of the time. I think that's a signifier in a very like simple way of just how far modern pitching has come in terms of guys throwing 52% slider when, you know, that's usually reserved for your fastball. Usually that's 52 plus. You've seen guys for years sit 60 plus, And now we're seeing a lot of guys go under 50% with their fastball. And this is a trend you're going to see with the giants. We haven't played yet, but the giants do this a ton. We're acquiring pitchers and, uh, and dropping uh, fastball usage, bringing up slider usage. And I think that, you know, maybe Swarmer doesn't turn into a, a number two in the rotation or anything, but I think what he represents to me is the evolution of the Cubs front office and their pitching development, especially with when Breslow came in in 2020 these changes are starting to manifest. It's going to take some time, which is tough because it's like you hear the changes and then you look the next year and you're like, the team's not better. I don't understand what they did. And it's like, you know, systems take a long time to build, especially when they're trying to do something different and trying to do something new. And from my conversations with Breslow, he's done an incredible job so far. The data backs us up in the minor leagues. It's just, you know, it's it takes some time, obviously, to, to push through. But again, what I'm getting at with Swarmer here is like that 52% slaughter usage is an indication to me that the Cubs are kind of catching up with a lot of this modern ideas around pitching, right? Like, you just wouldn't have seen this. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but, like, a starting pitcher for the Cubs to throw, you know, 50 or more percent breaking ball through any period of time. I, I can't think of a pitcher who is probably doing that, right? Like, even Stroman is more like a fastball. He's like a cut-right-sink fastball guy. Like, there's just not a lot of pitchers in the Cubs who the Cubs have featured and who are doing that, you know? And I like that from a perspective of, like, them understanding as an organization what is working for other teams, like the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Giants, and even like the Brewers and stuff do a really good job of this. Um, obviously, established fastball is still a thing. I don't, I, again, like I don't think that's something that you just don't do anymore. But I think that teams are realizing if a slider is that good, you probably should throw it more. So I love that that pitch is over 50%. It's not like a 35% pitch where they're like, establish fastball, establish fastball. It's like, in reality, he's sitting low 90s. Like, the fastball is fine. It's really about the, how those two pitches interact. And do, where do you see Swarmer, like, say, in the next year or two? What do, what do you see him, his role with the team being potentially? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, 
I think I, I'd like to say something like a five or four or five fourth or fifth starter, which a lot of people are going to be like bleh on. But the reality is like the distribution of starting pitching, you know, a lot of there's there's really like a four or five is good for a guy that really wasn't a top prospect, really wasn't mentioned too much, not talked about a lot. Um, if you can get that result out of him and turn him into like an Alec Millsy type where it's two pitch and it's really good. Like I, I love him as like, as like a guy who starts maybe a small sample of games each year or sits as a five in the rotation for a bit while we see a lot of these other young studs come up through the system. Um, it's not downplaying him at all. It's just a little more realistic in terms of outlook, which I, I tend to be in a lot of my analysis, but yeah, he's like, I think he's like a five and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Now we talked about a lot of the young pitching that we saw over the last weekend, but we also had a free agent pitch uh, Marcus Stroman, who the Cubs signed in the right at the 11 o'clock hour before the lockout. And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been an interesting season for him so far. He kind of had started out a little bit slow, then all of a sudden started looking good, got COVID came Mm. back, had a great start against the white Sox, And then his worst start against St. Louis Uh, as far as Marcus, you know, when he's successful, what is it that he's done to make him one of the top pitchers in baseball? Yeah, we were we actually doing a breakdown on this today on the on our pregame show. Uh, this is Wednesday. I don't know the date, but I know it's Wednesday. Um, against the Orioles, Sean Marshall's going to run through a little tape that I cut for him, and we kind of talked through about what has changed and what's made him effective this year. The main thing that jumped out to me is if you look at it between 2015 and 2018, I believe, and you sort by ground ball rate, who creates the most ground balls in Major League Baseball? Marcus Stroman was number one in baseball among qualified starting pitchers. This year, he's down to 42% ground ball rate. He's become almost a fly ball pitcher, which I didn't really expect, but there's been like a deterioration and a flip over the last couple of years in terms of how much he's giving up, you know, fly balls. And I don't necessarily know whether his stuff is as conducive to be a fly ball pitcher. Like, I don't know if his raw stuff, I don't even know if that's his intention, let's say. Like, I haven't talked to Stroman about this. I definitely would like to. I'm in the clubhouse a good amount. I just haven't gotten a chance to catch him, but... I, I'm curious if it's just a location thing. Like, we were looking at some sinker plots in terms of where he's throwing a sinker this year relative to last year. The pitch is up in the zone a little more. Um, he did kind of reinvent his forcing fastball to work up in the zone more, which I thought was a really good addition. And I was a little bit surprised, too. Like, he's got such good body feel and just an understanding of the game that he's a guy I think you just give a cue to. You just tell him to do something, and he could probably do it very quickly because it is how cerebral he is. But – yeah, it seems like a sinker thing. It seems like he's just living up in the zone more. I don't necessarily know if that's where his stuff is supposed to be. I know uh, in the post-game interviews I've seen with him, he always talks about his mechanics have kind of been off. That's been a consistent theme. Maybe that's why he's leaving some stuff up. I think he's, his MO is to live down. Like, his stuff just works down. And I think that that fastball wrinkle, what he kind of changed with that forcing this year, allows him to kind of open up the top of the zone, which would make him a incredibly effective pitcher if he's able to go kind of two-seam down, sinker down, and then tunnel slider off that, go cutter in middle and then force him up that's a good combination it's just we haven't really seen it too much we saw it in chicago on the south side when he pitched there he pitched really well but and i think he went into milwaukee and pitched really well too i remember that outing Mm -hmm. that one i think he wasn't living down too much but he was really effective on the inner third especially the lefties and uh some of the lefties that the brewers have in that lineup but that's that's my guess right now um maybe so i'll say it's like it's like a location thing but maybe comes down more to mechanics but i do feel like that's kind of a cop-out like I, i wish there was something more that jumps out. You know what I mean? It's just some of the pitches, the cutter in particular hasn't been great this year and the sinker hasn't been great. And I think he'd say the same thing. Yeah. We, we talked to him. I interviewed him over at club 400 and nice. you know, he just talked about how the lockout threw him off a little bit and sure. he just doesn't, you know, he just hasn't had any consistency. You know, you had the lockout and then he got yeah. sick and it's just hasn't. And, and I tell people too, John Lester struggled his first month, month and a half in Chicago for whatever reason. And I can't put a finger on it. Free agents for whatever reason, 
seem to struggle when they come here. And uh, then once they kind of get established, they do okay. So I'm, you know, Marcus has plenty of history behind him that shows that he's a good pitcher. So uh, when, when you're looking tonight at Marcus's start, what, what should people be looking for? Yeah, that Orioles lineup in particular is not particularly de- devastating, really. Like, it's not that great. Like, Cedric Moles is a really good lefty. But any of those righties in that lineup, like, the, the wall in left field now is so deep that, like, you're just not seeing a lot of home runs. So I'd love to see him be really aggressive, try to get a lot of guys out in front, a lot of righties out in front trying to pull the ball. Because I just think that there's a higher probability those balls don't end up as damage. Um, so, yeah, look for everything to be down. I think that's the main thing. Like, let's see if that's the key for him is just live down on his own. Maybe it's as simple as that. But – the mental side you're talking about is huge, too. Like, that's something that I think is incredibly undercovered. We don't really talk about it a lot. But, you know, I think that we also, as, like, fans and people who root for a team, you know, we like to ascribe reason for things that maybe are somewhat reasonless, you know? Like, if he just hasn't been locked in, he thinks COVID threw him off, we might be like, oh, he's under the pressure of a new contract, new city. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe those things aren't connected at all. Maybe he's just going through a little bit of a bout, and it happens to be in his first couple months with the Cubs. But they am under a couple years contract, and – I don't expect that to be a poor contract when we look back at it. It's just we've caught two tough months with a couple really good starts nestled within. So we'll see. Well, Lance, we really appreciate you coming on here. If people want to look at for your work, where would they be able to find it? What social media tags are you under? Yeah, I'm Lance B-R-O-Z, last four letters of my uh, last name, excuse me, um, on Twitter and Lance Brozdowski, full name on YouTube. I do some stuff on my own jumping around the league, generally non-Cubs. I'm a huge like baseball fan in general outside of the Cubs and such. So, but yeah, any marquee sports network, I'm on twice a week, usually Tuesdays, Fridays, we do like a little cool breakdown segment. I'm on air with that, usually with Dempster or Marsh or whoever we have in studio, which is really fun. I've really enjoyed that. So it's been a bit of a change for me in terms of my role this year, but I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight, and I can do the Leo DiCaprio meme where I'm pointing at you on yeah, TV and go. say, ah, <laughs> yep, I knew that was happening. Thanks for coming on, Lance. We really Absolutely. appreciate it. Anytime. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast, season one, episode five, calling this one, the Cubs have all-stars. Great interview, Crowley. Lance had a lot of great information. Definitely hope everybody was able to check that out. Now, something we're definitely keeping an eye on with this mix of vets and young guys is is roster news. And um, I think the biggest roster news, I think the first thing we uh, we have to discuss is Seiya Suzuki who was the Cubs' big off-season pickup, started out red hot, playing a great right field, hitting the heck out of the ball. He went down with a finger injury, and it looks like he could be back this weekend when they hit up Yankee Stadium out in New York. That's the hope right now. He did take batting practice on Wednesday. So what they're doing now is he's, he's resuming baseball activities. They want to see how the finger responds the point of it is, is they don't feel that they need him to do any kind of minor league assignment. So when Suzuki's ready, he will be joining. He's, he's with the club right now and he'll be joining the major league team right away and hopefully able to help out. So when Suzuki is back in right field, Crowley, and I can't wait for him to get back. I can't wait to see him. You're going to have Suzuki in right field. You're going to have Morell out in center and you're probably going to have Ian happen left more times than not, right? Would you say that's accurate? Sounds fair, yes. Okay, so what happens to Jason Hayward? Now, the Cubs were rained out on Wednesday, but Hayward had started on Tuesday, and he was supposed to start on Wednesday. I mean, is what's going on? Why is he, why is he still 
Why is he still starting? And once Suzuki gets back, when would we potentially see Jason Hayward start again? The $47 million question you're asking there, Dustin, (laughs) I have, I wish somebody could explain it to me and I have no answer that I could give the listeners that would satisfy them. All I know is, is I would like either Jed Hoyer or David Ross. I want someone to take accountability for this and say, I'm the one that makes the lineup or I'm the one saying that Jason Hayward needs to play because if it, if it's David Ross putting him every day in every day, then Jed Hoyer just needs to DFA him. That's my opinion. If you're not sitting there and uh, getting as much as you can, as much looks as you can at Rafael Ortega and taking a look at Clint Frazier. Exactly. Clint Frazier. I mean, what, I mean, is Clint Frazier in the doghouse with David Ross? Doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to hear about the metrics. I don't want to hear that he does this against this type of guy or does that against that type of guy. I want to see Clint Frazier. It's, it's, it's as frustrating as it can be. It's, it's, it, it, there is, I, there is no logical explanation for it. And I, I wish I had one and, because I would love to be the one that broke the news, but there's nothing I got. I'm, I'm, I'm clueless. And we got three with the Yankees. Uh, what do you, how many games do you think Jason Hayward starts out of those three? Well, I'm going to guess one. I'm going to guess one. I'm hoping none, but if I had to bet on it, I would say he starts one game and I would say he gets four at-bats over the three days. All right. You? I, I, I think he's going to get two starts. That's just my oh, feeling. Oh, Crowley, please no. <laughs> please no. Please, please no. It's, it's, it's unfortunately, I, I'm not sure if Say is going to be back this series. Maybe he will but be. If but if, I, okay, let me backtrack a sec. I'm assuming Suzuki's back. So that okay. means Suzuki should start once. Frazier should definitely start two times maybe. Maybe once in right field and maybe once as a DH. Let's see. Let's see what motivates this guy. Let's see him against his former team, the team that drafted him, and then the team that gave up on him. I want to see if that motivates this type of guy. That's important. And then fine. Go ahead and let him start one game because he's your buddy, David Ross, and he used to buy you a suite on the road. I think more than anything, this really hurts David Ross as a manager because that's what people think. They think you, you know, remember that was the big knock when they hired David Ross is how is he going to be able to manage guys that he was friends with? This was back with John Lester on the team and Anthony Rizzo and all that stuff. And that was always, that was the big question with the hiring of David Ross. And now you have Jason Hayward, who, as you mentioned, they were teammates in Atlanta and uh, Hayward, uh, was treated very well by David Ross. So the last season Ross played Hayward paid to have him get his own suite. So he could bring his family to all the games, et cetera, et cetera. This just looks bad because there is your, there's nothing you're doing. There's nothing he offers you. He's not an elite center fielder ever. He he's not an elite right fielder anymore. He hasn't hit through the duration of the contract. So what is it that he gives you that you just must play him all the time. There's nothing. So it really, to me, it looks like, like David Ross is helping out a buddy. That's the only thing I can think of. And I hope I'm wrong, but as of now, I have no other explanation. Baseball nepotism at its finest Crowley. Okay. Before we get a little deeper into the Yankee series, another guy that not making as much money, not even close to what, um, our friend Jason Hayward makes is David Bodie. But here's another guy that unless there's an injury, I don't think we need to see David Bodie play again 
for the Cubs. And it's too bad because he's a great story, seems like a great guy, but we don't need to see him again, do we, Crowley? No, I really don't think we do, but I don't think that's going to be a problem, at least in the in the short term, because he was pulled from a rehab assignment in Iowa where he has been uh, doing his rehab. Uh, he's having some sort of dizzy spells of some kind, and it's been uh, he was eligible to return from the IL on Monday, but he's been struggling. He's hitting 178 in Iowa, so I don't even know how you could even think about calling him back up. Um, so that's, that's something that I, I can't see him coming up in the next – let's say three weeks would be my timetable on that. And again, no disrespect to David Bodie. Wish him well. He's had a couple of big moments, jump off your couch moments, if you will. Um, but I don't need to see him play at Clark and Addison anymore. Okay, Crowley. Now here we go. We've got the Cubs. We've got the Yankees. I mean, you talk about blue chippers in, in all of baseball, <clears throat> right? Yankees, obviously way more championship. Yankees in first place, maybe the best lineup in all of baseball. This is what's great about interleague, a series like this. So the Cubs head out to New York. This is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Game one, we got Miley coming back for the Cubs. Give me an idea, Crowley, about how you feel about interleague play and how you, what will be okay. I had said earlier today on the score, on the Mully and Haw show, kind of what I had said when they took on the White Sox. Just don't get swept. Just win one. Just win one, baby. I'll pull out my Al Davis card. Just win one, baby, um, and it will be okay. I, I, But just don't get swept. I like interleague play. I know not everybody does, but I'm one of those guys that, as a season ticket holder, I take a look and see the teams that maybe I haven't had an opportunity. I like to see the Cubs play different teams. So, you know, I'm, I have tickets to see them play the Red Sox, and I'm going to see the Baltimore Orioles when they come into town and get to see some of the players I don't normally get to see. Um, and then on the flip side, it also allows me, and I didn't do anything this year because, uh, I just renovated the clubhouse down here in my basement, but, uh, I was, I was planning on going to Baltimore. So do you see in different stadiums, the Cubs play in different stadiums? I'm with you on the fact that if the Cubs win one, I will be extremely ecstatic and impressed. This is a really good Yankees team. They're 40 and 16. They've won seven of their last 10. They are rolling. And on the flip side, the Cubs are 10 games under 500 at 23 and 33, and they've lost six out of their last 10. And what has been driving the Yankees has been this absolutely elite rotation. And they haven't announced starters yet, but they just had, they just lost, I think, last night against Minnesota. They had a bad loss, but they had a six game win streak, and it was their rotation. They have uh, Montgomery, Cortez, Tylone. Cole Severino, these guys are just absolute horses. These guys in their last in the six game win streak, they they pitched all of them pretty much pitched into the seventh inning, pitched seven innings. So you're not talking about the pull them out in the fifth. These guys are workhorses. They are tough, and then you know they got a pretty decent offense too. So Cortez, the Cubs definitely won't have to see. He just pitched. It doesn't right. look like they'll have to face Cole either. Um, so we talked about Miley's going to go game one. That's going to be on. That's going to be on Friday. Game two is Swarmer. Now I love the idea of Swarmer getting this start on the road against the Yankees. I think that's huge. This Swarmer's not twenty-one. He's like 28, 26, somewhere in there, right? 
Right. You know, this is the time to see what he's got. Like, I want to see what Clint Frazier has. I want to see what Swarmer has. Can he go in? I'm not asking him to have six strikeouts and no walks and one earned run over five and two thirds innings, nothing like that. But what will he be like? Can he, can he rise up to that moment? And then game three, Crawley is TBD. And now we get into a really interesting question. Yesterday's game was rained out. Marcus Stroman was scheduled to throw. He then supposedly did a bullpen and Kyle Hendricks has not pitched since June 1st. Don't you want to see Kyle Hendricks against Anthony Rizzo. Don't you want to see what Marcus Stroman has as he goes back to New York to show up the city that kind of turned their back on him? These are the things I'm looking forward to seeing, and I'm afraid that we're not going to see them. I'm with you on that one. It's good to see Miley getting back on the mound, and Swarmer is someone that has, you know, I I went back and looked. I'm like, what did I miss? And he really wasn't in anybody's, you know, top you know, prospect picks and all those lists. Everybody has a list. And so, yeah, what do you have and, and prove it on a big stage? He, he showed what he had against the Cardinals and he did really good against the Brewers. And this team is by far the best that he's going to face so far. So I'm, I'm excited and, and hopeful, but I'm, I'm also understanding of the idea that this is not an easy task. And just because he has one bad outing against the Yankees doesn't mean he should get, you know, a couple more looks. As far as, as, as uh, you know, taking a look at the two veteran pitchers on this team of Stroman and Hendricks, they're saying that Kyle Hendricks is healthy and they're just saying, you know, just some workload management, but it's been kind of a rough season for Kyle, you know, not that many great starts in there. I want to say he had one quality start that I can remember off the top of my head, but, you know, maybe just, maybe I, I, he has some dead arm. I have no idea, but it is surprising June 1st, you know, that's, that's a little wild right now. So you got three guys that could potentially make that start. You got Stroman, like you pointed out, he, he threw a bullpen. Maybe he goes, maybe he doesn't. Hendricks, who hasn't pitched since June 1st. And then if you go with Justin Steele, that would be one week since his last start. So he pitched on Sunday night baseball uh, against the Cardinals. So those are the three guys in the mix right there. And as much as you want to see Stroman, and, and I, I talked, I interviewed Stroman at Club 400, and he didn't have a great experience with New York fans. I'll say, I'll say that. And then with Kyle Hendricks, you know, I want to know, can, is he okay? Can he be a decent pitcher, much less dominant pitcher? And then, you know, then you got Justin Steele. Maybe he goes and, and you know, builds off that start that he had against the Cardinals. Yeah, we hope that it's a building block. All right, Crowley, that's a wrap. Season one, episode five, it's in the books. We're going to have episode six for you very early next week. And of course, we'll start out by reviewing the Yankee series that we just previewed for us. We hope that you're enjoying the podcast. We want you to follow us. We want you to listen to us. We want you to download. We want you to rate it. We want you to subscribe. We've also got a new email address, Crowley. Tell them how they can email the show. You can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. So send us your questions. We'll answer some early next week when we record this thing and recap uh, the Yankee series. And that will be season one, episode six. And hopefully by the time we get back here, we've had an opportunity to fly the W. Fly the W!